Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We sang in those hymns more about Jesus. Would I know more of his grace to others show. Faith of our fathers, we will love both friend and foe in all our strife. Oh, to be like Jesus, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind. All of these hymns have something in common. They all speak of a Christianity which is not only reflecting a Christ-likeness, but which reaches beyond the walls of the church and into a world of sinners. We are called on to be lights in a darkened world. Such lights, our Lord would tell us, should not be placed under a table, but upon the hilltop. And that has a lot to do with our Lord's instructions this morning on prayer. Sometimes we do not take the time to stop and seriously consider the portion of Scripture before us. Sometimes in our zeal to read the Word of God, we are negligent of the grace of meditation of which we sang in one of those psalms, Psalm 1. We must not be so hasty when it comes to God's Word. And I believe in our passage of Scripture, we need to take time to consider not merely what our Lord is saying, but who is saying it. Who is instructing us on prayer? It's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That alone ought to make us stop and meditate and ponder. Because I truly believe that it is the absence or neglecting of these divine instructions of Christ on prayer, which has greatly contributed to the current spiritual condition of God's church, which is one of great weakness and countless schisms or divisions. For it's not the lack of knowledge or learning, surely not, for never has the church had so many resources and books available on the things of God than today. Knowledge is in abundance. 
Yet even Scripture itself declares that knowledge itself puffeth up, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Yet what good is an abundance of knowledge concerning God if we cannot pray? And knowledge of God is of no good if we don't pray. Fainting, declared our Lord Himself, is attributed to a lack of prayer, not a lack of knowledge. According to Luke chapter 8, 18 verse 1, men ought always to pray and not faint. Not that knowledge of Christ is unimportant or unnecessary, for Scripture encourages us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But growing in grace precedes that of growing in knowledge. And beloved, it's by prayer, listen to me, it's by prayer that all things are put in their proper perspective, even knowledge. We must be men and women of prayer. Prayer has a power, a sovereign power to transform, to enlighten, to enable us to understand and live the life which Scripture and God demands of us. It's a vital, essential part of our Christianity. And therefore, when our Lord is asked if He would teach the disciples to pray, He speaks immediately, when you pray. He hesitates not. But when you pray, say. I want you to notice, first of all, and most amazingly, how Christ would have us to pray that our Heavenly Father would forgive us our sins in accordance, or as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Verse 4, when you pray, say, and forgive us our sins for, or as, or in accordance, or in measure, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. This is an amazing statement. And it is not one which has, which is not without debate or controversy over the years. Men have fought and debated over these words of Christ to the point where many are confused. And I simply say, and I'll say it again before the sermon's over, leave God's Word alone. Like Martin Luther so boldly said in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let the Word of God speak for itself. Men are guilty of trying to rest God's Word to fit their theology. Because they believe that something is said that kind of breaks up their theology or makes it look like it's not consistent. And so they have to rest the words of Christ to make it fit their theology. And I say, leave the Word of God alone. Christ is saying here something vitally important for all of us to remember when we pray. 
He's not teaching doctrine here, though prayer is established or founded, created, built upon doctrine. Yes, of course. But he's teaching us to pray. He's teaching us what we should pray to the Father. Before we can get further into that, I want you to notice first of all and understand that Christ would instruct us that in all true prayer, there must be a genuine, humble confession and acknowledgement of sin. When ye pray, say, forgive us our sins. Now many might believe this should lead these instructions before Christ even begins to speak about our Heavenly Father which art in heaven. But Christ, like we said before, would raise us up to the highest heavens so that we can see and understand how high and holy and righteous God is so that we might truly, humbly, genuinely confess our sins. We will not confess our sins till we see God high and lifted up. Could there be a true prayer brought before God which does not arise from a humble and unfeigned confession of our sins. We're speaking to our Heavenly Father. For though it is to our Father that we are instructed to direct this prayer, yet He is in heaven and we on earth. It's our Father, but He's in heaven and we upon earth. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 explains that. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything, any words before God. For God is in heaven, our Father which art in heaven, and thou upon earth forgive us our sins. Therefore let thy words be few. I wonder if our Lord had this verse in mind when He began to instruct them in prayer because He gives us merely six distinct things concerning prayer. There are very few. He could have written or spoken volumes, and yet He only gives us six. And I wonder if Ecclesiastes 5 was not upon His heart and mind when He instructed them on prayer. Let your words be few, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. When you pray, say to your Father in heaven, forgive us our sins. You know, when you spend time contemplating not only on who is instructing us, but the subject of which he's instructing us in, which is speaking to God, it's amazing because you come to understand that only Christ himself being the perfect mediator between God and man. The perfect mediator between God and man. He is God, and becoming flesh, he knows what man is. Being the perfect mediator, only he could strike the divine balance between God, who is our heavenly Father, and us finite and sinful creatures. Say ye, forgive us our sins. In this divine instruction on prayer, Christ would have us to know when we pray, he's speaking about pray, when we pray, 
Though God is our Heavenly Father, let us not be careless or irreverent, but be of a humble and contrite spirit. Only Christ could strike or explain that divine balance. Yes, He's your Heavenly Father. And again, I remind you, here's the, the only mediator between God and man, the Lamb of God who took our sins away. I'm telling you, He's the only one that could give us that divine balance. Yes, He's your Heavenly Father, but do not come into His presence careless or irreverently. Remember that He is in heaven and you are upon earth. We're exhorted to come to the throne of grace in time of need. Yet the throne of grace is still a throne. It's a throne. Like what one old Puritan preacher said about prayer. He said, And the confidence of the child of God must be tempered with the humility of the sinner. The confidence of the child of God, our Father in heaven, must be tempered with the humility of the sinner. When ye pray, forgive us our sins. You know what else strikes me about this instruction and he who is giving the instructions? Is this divine instruction on prayer comes from one who is, namely the Lamb of God, who bore our sins. Listen to me. Christ knowing all things, Christ being God, he knew why he came down from heaven to do his Father's will. He knew what was awaiting him. He knew what sacrifice he would give for our sins. We're talking about the Lamb of God is teaching us about forgiveness of sins. Who else is better at teaching us and encouraging us to ask God for forgiveness of sins? That is exactly what exalts the work of Christ. So though it is humbling to us that we have sins to be forgiven, it should be encouraging that it is the very Lamb of God who bore our sins, who encourages us to confess them before the Father. He who His own self bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whom stripes we are healed. It is He who instructs us to seek the Father for forgiveness of our sins because He is the very Lamb of God who bore them. Encouraging that is. I don't understand why so many today, and there's even more growing in this this manner of believing here that Christians don't have to confess their sins. Christians don't have to repent. That's unbiblical. What do you do with Christ's prayer here? What do you say with this instruction on prayer? Forgive us our, our sins. What do you do with that? Something we'll look at a little further down the road here. When you pray, say, forgive us our sins. Well, encouragement to pray that God would even forgive sins. That God would even forgive our sins. What encouragement to pray. What an assurance in this petition. What joy, what comfort, what hope, what peace such a petition can bring because it is the very Lamb of God who is encouraging us to confess our sins before the Father because He bore them all.
Look over First John chapter one. Very well known passage of scripture. First John chapter one in verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That greatly comforts the heart of the child of God. Yet there are some, those who believe that Christians don't have to confess their sins or repent, who just merely claim this passage of Scripture is not for us. It's for somebody else. Mm. Hold on to your hat. Listen to what he says. Let's follow us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins. John's including himself. How could it not be for Christians? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's instructing us in prayer. Our advocate. <laughs> what better instructions could we receive than from the advocate? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and for ours only, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If any man sin, my little children, these things are right unto you. Oh, what do you mean it doesn't pertain to Christians? Now listen to me very closely. I want you to understand this. Though the true believer shall never suffer penal justice from God for their sins. Christ, having paid the full price, having once suffered for our sins, according to Hebrews, he's cast them as far as the east is from the west, will never have to answer before God for our sins. Yet, beloved, the Bible teaches in this present life there are yet remnants of sin in our mortal bodies by which we, as true believers, have need of confessing and mortifying. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. Mortify, therefore, the deeds of your body. Not to mention, or to maintain, I mean, to keep eternal life. We don't do this to keep our eternal life, but that we might, in this life, walk humbly with God, but know the divine power and grace of God's forgiveness. And this is where I believe people make a great mistake. Because they say, well, I don't have to ask for forgiveness of sins. As Christ says, forgive all my sins, now and yesterday and forever, I never have to repent again. I never have to confess my sins again. Because Christ has already paid for all of them. There's not a man, woman, or child who professes to be a Christian who is not aware that they still sin that they still have temptation, that they still have problems with the flesh. There's not a one. Well, what do you do with that? Well, I don't have to confess that because it's already forgiven. You know what that leads to? Lasciviousness. That leads to sinful living. That leads to being hardened by sin. It doesn't matter what you do. God's forgiven it so you can do whatever you want. And I believe that keeps them from enjoying what it is to walk with God. Confessing our sins. The blessedness of a man forgiven of his sins. 
Let me show you what Scripture says. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That is the man under the whole, whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now listen to him. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. It's conviction. For night and day thy hand was heavy upon me. It's conviction. My moisture is turned into drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Blessed is not he who is righteous or perfect or sinless, but blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, the believer is thoroughly convinced that what Christ did on Calvary, the sacrifice he gave, was enough to cover all his sins, and he'll never have to answer before God because of those sins, but he knows as he walks in this present life, in this body of corruption, there is still sin to be mortified and confessed and repented of so that we might maintain a walk and fellowship with God in this present life. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. John Owens wrote a whole volume on this verse of Scripture. John <clears throat> or Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He's praying. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. You hear the words of the psalmist. The wrestling, the conviction of sin, the acknowledging, the confession of sins. That thou mayest be feared. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 23 and 24. I wish I could read the whole psalm because David said, Thou knowest my uprising, my down-sitting. Thou knowest all things. Nothing's hid from you. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. All these things. And at the end of all this psalm, look at what he says. Look at what he says. Look at what he prays. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's not a Christian, a true Christian, that will not humbly acknowledge that though he knows his sins to be forgiven, yet in this life, he yet struggles with sin. To believe that repentance and confession and a forsaking of those sins is not necessary or essential in our walk with God in this life leaves one open to sin's hardening of his heart. 
read Hebrews. There is a blessedness in confessing our sins. There is a joy, a cleansing. There is a sanctifying, purifying effect when we pray to God and confess our sins. And those who don't believe in that, watch their lifestyle. I've seen a few. They're arrogant with sin. They don't care if they sin. They dabble in sin. But oh, but a true child of God knows what sin in this life can do. And so he prays and asks the Father to forgive him of his sins. And yet I want to look at something just as amazing, if not more, in our text in Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> in his instructing us on prayer in regards to our beseeching God to forgive us our sins, our Lord adds an extraordinary and amazing condition. One which, like I said in the beginning, many have debated and argued over. Forgive us our sins for, or as, in accordance, in measure, for we also forgive everyone that is debted to us. Now think about those words for a minute. <clears throat> and forgive us our sins, for we also, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, as we, forgive us as we, in a measure. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Everyone. Think about that for a minute. Listen to these words. The Lord is basically saying <laughs> that we're asking God in prayer to forgive us in the same measure whereby we forgive others. That's an amazing statement. And people have argued and debated over this for a long time. Oh, no, that's not what Christ's saying. What he's actually saying, no, he said it. What he's actually said, no, he said it. Why is it that these people who believe in the sovereignty of God don't allow God to be sovereign? God can do what he wishes. And here's an instruction that Christ gives us that contradicts so many people's theology about God's sovereignty and the forgiveness of sins. How could God forgive us of sins according to how we forgive others? Is that not merit-based? Is that not taking away from the work of Christ? Well, it's Christ Himself who says these words. So you tell me. In his epistle to the Ephesians, Paul writes, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as, he says the same form of words, forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. When Paul teaches this to Christians, regarding other Christians, he says, you forgive one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. But here Christ speaks in a more broader, more general term. In other words, Christ is saying, you Forgive everyone, a broader sense, not just believers, but be ready to forgive everyone who transgresses against you. <clears throat> In 
and forgive us our sins, for we also are in measure in accordance as we forgive everyone that is debtor to us. It's an amazing statement. And I'm telling you, it contradicts so many people's theology. It just, it just wrecks it all. It just throws it all out the window. Man is so corrupt. And in his vain and prideful arrogance, because he's got a set form of theology, he tries to wretch the Word of God to make it always fit in that. Well, Paul's instructions on forgiving one another is mainly directed to believers, forgiving other believers. And that's something we don't even do as Christians today. Not as much as we should. I hope and pray we're praying that we would. But Christ's instruction is more general. Everyone who is indebted to us. He doesn't limit it to other believers. He says everyone. Father, forgive us. In the same measure that I forgive everyone, everyone who's indebted to me. Now that's a hard saying. Very hard. And yet, Christ would have us pray. Christ would instruct us to pray that. And I'm not even going to try to fit this in any kind of set theological belief that people have. I'm simply going to tell you the words of Christ. He said, forgive us our sins as, in measure, as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Christ said it, and I believe it. I, it's not a merited thing. Christ said, this is how you need to pray. Lord, I want you to forgive me as I forgive those who are indebted to me in the same measure. There is something, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's something about the Christian carrying the spirit of forgiveness into the world that Christ would have us pray for. That we're not only willing and ready to forgive one another as believers, but the spirit of forgiveness goes beyond the walls of the church. And it goes towards everyone who's indebted to us. Everyone who is indebted to us. And beloved, I believe that is lacking because there's not forgiveness within the church walls. We don't know how to forgive one another as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. How should we show such forgiveness to those in the world? When the church, when people look at the church today, I'm telling you, have you not yourself heard that many people say, oh, I don't want to go there. They always fight and argue. Oh, that church is a result of splitting from that church, which split it from that church, which split it from that church. Christians only argue all the time. They're always fighting. They're always, they're never in agreement. It's unfortunately true. Oh, and we are so pious that we justify why we act the way we do when it comes to non-forgiveness. Well, they you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. You don't know what they said to me. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. If, if you do not maintain and pray, and I'm getting to that in closing, we can't have this spirit of forgiveness without prayer because we can't of ourselves not do that. But if we don't maintain and cultivate a spirit of forgiveness in us towards Christians and those outside the wall, all those who are indebted to us, beloved, we're going to lack greatly in our spiritual life. Something is going to lack greatly. 
There's something about forgiving others who are indebted to us, not just forgiving others who come to us and confess, but he said debtors to us. He didn't say, oh, they came to me and confessed and therefore are forgiven. He said, no, forgive those that are debtors to you. There's something very peaceful, comforting, holy and reverent and joyful in forgiving others who are in debt to us. It's an imitation of God. God loved us while we were yet what? Sinners. While we were yet sinners. The world can't comprehend that. The world says, no, if somebody's indebted to me, I hate them. I can't stand them. I, I argue against them. I, I'm not going to live with them. I'm not going to walk on the same side of the street. Yet Christians do the same things. They, they do the same thing. They, they refuse to forgive other Christians. And you know what? Christians sometimes can make some very serious mistakes. Do you believe that? We can make some very serious mistakes. We're human. We're not any different from anybody else in the world except we have Christ. And we have His grace and His mercy that can change our hearts and our minds. Yes, that's the difference we have. But we make the same mistakes. And sometimes we can make grievous mistakes. Look at David. Look at Moses. Look at Peter. And yet holding grudge... You'll never find in Scripture. It's never in Scripture. You can never justify holding a grudge. How often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, seven times seventy. Four hundred ninety times a day, Peter. Limitless. And there's something about carrying that same spirit of forgiveness into the world that testifies to the world that we truly are of God. Do you know that? give an example. We read Acts chapter 7. Remember Stephen or Stephen, however you want to say it. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down. Listen to this. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. He wanted everyone to hear. He wasn't believing God is deaf or that God wouldn't hear his voice. He wanted every one of his persecutors to hear. Lord Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. With a loud voice, he wanted them all to know that he forgave them for what they were doing and beseeched the Lord not to hold it against them. Let's go one better. Then said Jesus, forgive them. Father, He said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, well, the Lord wasn't talking about all of them. He was just talking directly to those who are the elect. They would hear it, and they would... Res I've heard the arguments. I've heard all the debates. But the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why is it so hard to believe that God, who is sovereign, can do what he wants to when he talks about forgiving? Why is it so hard to believe that when we show forgiveness to others, even though it doesn't lead them to conversion, that it might one day lead to their condemnation? Have you ever thought about that? Paul said the preaching is a savor of life unto some and a savor of death unto others. In other words, every time I preach, either it's going to be a savor unto life or it's going to rise up and condemn you. Every act of benevolence we have, every act of benevolence we do before lost men will either help them to bring them to conversion or one day condemn them. So why can't God say, I forgive them for they know not what they do? 
Why can't we simply follow our Lord's instructions and pray that God forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, who transgress against us, who are debtors against us. It's Christ-like, you know that? To forgive. These words of Christ, whether one wants to argue with me or not, but simply sticking to the Word of God, these words of Christ imply that the measure of forgiveness we receive from God is dependent on the measure by which we forgive others who trespass against us. It's simply what Christ is saying here. You can twist it any way you want to, but that's what he's saying. You know why many Christians have a problem with their spiritual life is because of this. I believe this is a problem because they can't find in their heart to forgive people who are indebted to them. Some of us maybe here this morning have people in our lives, whether they be lost or saved, who's done things against us we don't like, and we still haven't in our hearts forgiven them. Christ said, pray. Pray that you not be enslaved by that. And I believe that's really what the Lord intends also in this prayer, is that we wouldn't be enslaved by bitterness. But always be willing to forgive. And I don't mean simply saying that. But really, genuinely forgiving. Let us not reject this divine teaching of Christ. Paul said even in Galatians, and I'll wind this down a bit, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Unto all men. Especially unto them who are the household of faith. But unto all men. If all the things Christ did, John said, if all the things Christ did could not contain, the books of the world could not contain everything that was written. When it comes to prayer, Christ could have given us a long list of instructions. I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of things we need to learn about prayer. Why does he only give us six distinct things? And one of them is this. That elevates this instruction. That elevates it to a very high Position should in our hearts and our minds. This is something Christ deems very essential. Because he could have told us countless of other instructions. But this is one of them. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Because it's important. It's essential for us to remember in prayer to keep this spirit of prayer whenever we pray. Help me to always have, help me to always have that spirit of forgiveness. And not only to those who come and ask for it, but even those who are indebted to us. They're still indebted to me. Those who transgress against us. Beloved, the amount of divisions and schisms in our day and age prove the great neglecting of this prayer. It really does. For in Christ himself instructing us to pray this petition proves only the utter impossibility 
of our doing this without divine assistance. Why do you think he put it in this prayer? Pray to the Father that he might forgive your sins as you forgive others, because it's utter, utterly impossible for us to forgive others because of our sinful nature, our corrupt nature, our corrupt heart. It's hard for us. We think too much of ourselves. We esteem ourselves better than others. Rather than esteeming others better than ourselves, we have problems with that, and therefore Christ says, no, I want you to pray this. One of the six things, I want you to pray to the Father that he forgive your sins. But not only forgive your sins, don't be selfish, but forgive your sins as you forgive others. The importance of forgiving others in light of how God forgives you. And beloved, how could we not forgive others who are indebted to us when we go to God ourselves and confess our own sin, sins and we're humbled by the fact that we're so sinful and unworthy of God's grace? Is it not easier? This is taking the, this is looking at our brother splinter through our beam in our own eye. Christ said, this is how you maintain it. You pray. You pray for it. <coughs> you don't try to just do it on your own. This is something that you need to pray about because you cannot do it of yourself. And the measure of divisions and schisms in the church today is evidence of our not praying as we ought. So Christ would say, when you pray, say, forgive us our sins. Amen. Yes, Lord, forgive us our sins. Oh, he goes further. As for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Beloved, I pray that the Lord would help us to maintain and cultivate this spirit of forgiveness amongst God's people. I don't know why people believe that meekness is weakness and forgiveness is some kind of weakness as well. It's not. It's a divine attribute. It's a divine character. It's divine to forgive people who are not worthy of our forgiveness. We need to start praying more of this prayer in our own lives. Not only that we would exercise forgiveness amongst one another. Because you know what stops divisions and schisms? Forgiveness. You listen to me? When Peter denied the Lord three times, the third time he looked at Christ and he wept bitterly. And I won't go into that, but I always love that passage of Scripture because I don't believe Christ looked at him with any contempt or hatred or malice or disappointment. Christ looked with him at loving eyes and Paul, and it just broke Peter's heart. Broke Peter's heart that Christ would look at him with no condemnation. I'm not condemning you. You denied me three times. I still love you. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What causes us to weep bitterly when we sin against God? It's not because we've been caught. It's because we love God. We love God. And it breaks our hearts to sin against the loving, compassionate God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. So if Peter could do that, and then later on when they're, when they're fishing, it's amazing. I was looking at that the other day in the notes in my Bible over the years. It said when they were fishing, Christ was on the shore, and he was sitting around a coal of fire. You know where Peter denied Christ three times? around a coal of fire. It was as though Christ was saying, don't forget what you did, but even in the light of that, I still love you. It's amazing. Scripture is amazing. When they said it was Peter, John said it was Peter. Or as John said it was Christ, Peter jumped out of the boat. Didn't want to wait. Swam to shore. What drew him to Christ? 
I think I'd have swum the other way saying he can't stand me. I, I, I disappointed him. I think I would have swam the other way. But no, Peter jumped out of the boat. He knew something about Christ, maybe that we don't. And he went to shore and Christ, you know the story, asked him three times, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? After that, Peter fed Christ's sheep. You see the reconciliation that was wrought? There was a, a, a greater binding there. Do you understand when we forgive those who are debtors to us? Do you understand that when that forgiveness truly takes place and there's reconciliation, there is a much tighter bond between believers? Do you know that? Do you, do you understand that? We think we've got to live in perfect, perfect harmony to have that perfect peace. No, perfect harmony is when we struggle for it. Iron against iron, Proverbs says. And sometimes that's what it takes to create a bond with a brother or sister. And it's only when we learn how to forgive. And I believe there's a lot more to what Christ means here in this text than I could give you this morning. I'm sure there's infinitely more because they are the words of Christ. But I believe that's what the Lord would have for us to understand today. All prayer, all prayer must come before the throne of grace on the wings of humility and confession because it's our Father, yet He's in heaven and we're on earth. And as we ask forgiveness of sins, God, remind me of the importance and the significance and the blessing. When you forgive me, and I can say, blessed is the man who's, that I can turn to someone who's a debtor to me and say, I forgive you. Genuinely, sincerely forgive you. And the evidence will be seen in my love for you. That's true forgiveness. Not, oh, I forgave him, and then you still live. May God give us grace. We can't do that without prayer. So I believe that's why the Lord mentioned this in these six distinct instructions. We can't do it without prayer. So let us pray. Let us pray to have forgiving hearts. What a blessing that is. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I feel I haven't even touched the surface of, Lord, what your intentions were in these instructions on forgiving and our sins. I apologize. I pray, Lord God, that you would take your word, for my words are in vain. I pray you take your words and stir in your, the heart of your children. Lord, because of what you did on Calvary, the sacrifice that you gave, Lord, you love forgiving us. And it is the only mediator between God and man who in our text teaches us to pray. The Lamb of God who bore our sins would have us confess our sins. But in confessing our sins, reminding us the need to also forgive others who are debtors to us. Lord, may we ever keep this in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that you give us the grace to exercise it not only amongst ourselves, but even those who are in the world. Help us, Lord God, like Stephen, to cry aloud in our hearts concerning the world of sinners who abuse us and neglect us and persecute us. Lord, you said to pray for them in Matthew. Pray for those who persecute you. Lord, may we as Stephen cry in our hearts, Lord, lay this not to their charge. And may you give us a genuine spirit and sense of forgiveness that we might have peace with God. Lord, we love you and thank you for all things, for we ask these things 
in Christ's name. Amen.